near the start of this, I just really accepted that this book is going to take its own path. And I think it's kind of a living thing that you've birthed into the world and it's going to go its its own direction and reach who it needs to reach in its own time. So that's what's happening. Hello there, my fellow sophisticated creatives. Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. Ozzy is in the studio with me. He has all his toys. I have paper clipped the curtains together, so we may have a peaceful recording today. This is episode 10. My name is Joanna, and thank you for joining me. Today's guest is Liza Faith. Kim. Her memoir, Can't Breathe, won the Whistler Independent Book Award for nonfiction, and she's a finalist for the Canadian Book Club Awards. Congratulations, Leza. Ah, thank you so much. Um, it's a privilege to be recognized um, by those awards. I'm so grateful. A lot of work and um, as we get into this podcast, uh, a lot of courage, courage, that's that's the word I, I think is to best describe writing the book. And as we get into the podcast, our, our listeners will find out. So I usually interview authors who write fiction, but I have to admit you had been on my radar, um, having seen Instagram posts of um, your life and, and what you, what is involved in your story. And it was, you know, it was timing. Um, I'm seeing stuff on TV about world politics. I'm seeing news reports about human beings being hateful to each other. And I thought people need to hear your story because your story, and I have tissues here, I can, I can feel it now, <laughs> your story, renewed my faith in humanity. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, the world is walking through a very difficult time and we're all doing it together. Um, and I think, yeah, traumatized people lash out. Um, and I think, I wish everyone could just pause long enough to see that we're so much more alike than we are different. That needs to be on a New York billboard. <laughs> we are so much more like, yeah, yeah. And we need to come together. Yeah. So let's get into Lisa's story. Lisa, am I pronouncing your first name correctly? Yeah, it's Lisa. Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, first, your story is was a tough one to come up with questions. Um, I had tons of questions. Uh, bringing out aspects of can't breathe, but literally it was Saturday morning. I woke up at 4:30 a.m. and I had this epiphany, and I thought your story is so well written, and you are an author, and I didn't want you, the author, to be overshadowed by the impact of your story. So here we go. 
Are you ready? I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. Let's do this. Yeah. Okay. I have notes beside me because I may not remember some medical terms. Listeners, you may want to get a hot chocolate or a coffee, or if it's late at night, pour yourself a glass of wine, and you may want to have a tissue or two ready. So, Lisa, what made you decide to write this story and bear your soul? Uh, you are honest, and you are so vulnerable within these pages. Yeah. Um, I wrote this story for myself, first and foremost. Uh, it was a desperate urge really to get it onto paper and to see these truths staring back at me and it was my way of finding clarity in what we had walked through what I had walked through um, and it was also became my way of finding connection um, both to myself and my story and to others um, that shared pieces of it almost like therapeutic in a way yeah. would you yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would say that um, can you tell our listeners how long you and your husband, James, have been married and how many children you have? Yeah, James and I celebrated 10 years of marriage this summer. Uh, we've been together for nearly 14, which is incredible. Um, and we have two children, Noah and Evelyn. And how old is, how old is Noah and Evelyn? Yeah, Noah is eight now and Evelyn is four and a half. Noah is three years old when Evelyn is born and how early is Evelyn born prematurely and what do you learn about her health when she is born? Yeah, that's right. He was three and a half when Evelyn was born at uh, 32 weeks gestation. She weighed just 15, 30 grams or pounds. And a week prior to her birth, they went into preterm labor unexpectedly. And it was at this time we learned that there were concerns for her health. And um, they weren't entirely certain with what they could see through the ultrasound, um, that there was something wrong with her face. Uh, there seemed to be a problem with her jaw. She wasn't swallowing very well, um, which is why there was a significant amount of excess amniotic fluid. Um, which in turn is actually what put me into labor. Um, but the, the big piece that we learned prior to her delivery was her heart condition. And at the time, I couldn't fathom what they were describing to us, um, but she was born with only half a functioning heart. Okay. Um, so the listeners understand you gave birth naturally, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You had... If I understand, you had a, like a team of doctors around you when, when you were giving birth, right? Yes. Yeah, there was um, my own team of doctors, um, and they were prepared. Um, I think they were quite prepared to have to switch into gears for an emergency C-section um, had I not gotten her out quickly. Um, and then there was also a team from the NICU, uh, the recess team or the resuscitation team, and they're prepared to take care of baby when she comes out and, and do what they need to, to help her along. Um, though, I, I mean, I was still hoping at that time as well that she would be well enough that I would even hold her before she would go to the NICU. Um, we couldn't 
really know how much support she was going to need until she was actually out. Um, but in the end, uh, she was delivered and rushed immediately to the next room. So I can't even fathom, and I don't know if this is even the correct word, how desolate you must have felt. So you've you've delivered Evelyn and she's rushed, rushed away. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was heartbreaking. Um, and I write about this repeatedly in the chapter where I describe this. Um, it, it honestly just did not feel real. Um, like I was living in some alternate universe, like this couldn't truly be what was happening. Um, and even to this day, I choke up thinking about those moments we lost together that we couldn't have. And I can't help but wish still that it might have been different. Yeah. And it's um, going through labor when I think of what I remember. And I I, um, understand what you mean about the connection when your child is born. Yeah. And I, I, I am I I'm a little bit choking up here because I know the connection I had and I feel bad that you did have that. Okay. So I hope I said that. Okay. (laughs) Well, and, 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 uh, I knew what that connection was supposed to be because I had another child previously, you know, you know what you're expecting from your delivery experience. Um, what most people do receive in fact, Um, so there was definitely a loss there. Evelyn goes through a number of surgeries and procedures, and I'm not going to ask about each, each one, but I have to ask about her first surgery, which it was at three and a half weeks. And you note in the book that she has a 66% survival rate. And you ask the doctor, what sort of inter- intervention will there be if her heart doesn't tolerate the surgery? It just it hits you what three and a half weeks and hearts like a heart surgery. And what does this, the surgeon say to you? This first surgery was um, it was a repair of her a hole between her trachea and esophagus. Um, so. Your breathing tube and your eating tube um, had a hole connecting the, those two pieces together. And so the surgery was repairing that. Um, it was a major surgery and performed on a patient much smaller than the average size patient that would get this surgery. Um, and this patient has a complex congenital heart defect. Um, so my mind goes straight to her chances of not making it with the statistics they're giving us. And I want to know, what are you going to do in the operating room if her heart doesn't tolerate the the anesthesia? Um, If, yeah, I just, I knew her heart was very fragile and withstand surgery was going to be difficult. What was the plan to, to help her heart along? And he says to me, Evelyn will have to pull through on her own. And, and I, I wasn't angry at, at him or, or the team for, for that. I, I genuinely understood um, she just wasn't big enough for her heart to be repaired yet. Um, and they could do what they needed to do with her trachea and esophagus, but her heart 
needed to pull through. She did, yeah. though. She, she did. did. Yeah. She did. Wow, what a strong she little did. girl. So our listeners understand the full complexity of Evelyn's health. This just hit me. A lot of things mm-hmm. hit me. And um, so in you in the book, you write, Evelyn is being wheeled down the hall and I'm into a, a procedure. I'm sorry. I, I can't, I couldn't remember. I can't, when I was right, I, which procedure it was, but what got me was you write the smallest bump on the floor sends her heart racing. And as it races, she continues to desat. So it hit me that the smallest bump on her floor, on the floor, we don't even pay attention to, and it sends her heart racing. And what does it mean to desat? Yeah. Um, so you and I, we have oxygen saturation levels of 98 to 100, and that is how much oxygen is in your blood. Um, and because of Evelyn's heart condition, her saturation levels can sit anywhere from 70 to 85. Um, so when she's desetting, she's going below 70, uh, which you can imagine she's already sitting much lower than is safe for the average person. Um, so a desat lower than that is very significant. Um, and her heart just doesn't compensate very well when it goes faster, whether she's crying or there's a bump in the road that jostles her in her isolate. Um, and so it's uh, it was this walk down this hallway trying to keep her steady and calm um, while also trying to get to our destination faster so that they could stabilize her. Yeah. Good Lord. Good Lord. I think people are understanding why your memoir is called Can't Breathe. <laughs> it's yes. her inability to breathe. Um, but even more so, it was my own, <laughs> I think. Um, you know, you have these moments in life where you kind of catch yourself holding your breath and you're forgetting to exhale. And I feel like a lot of that, those first couple of years with her was like that. When you could, when could you actually yeah. exhale? Yeah. yeah. So the hospital is on high alert. Evelyn is still three pounds and she's about to undergo a bronchoscope. What is a bronchoscope and why was it important? Yeah, a bronchoscope is a procedure that's performed by ENT, which is an ear, nose and throat surgeon. And they put an instrument down your throat or nose with a light and a camera at the end of it. Um, And it's... This is the procedure that allows them to diagnose any problems within the airway. Um, So Evelyn's first bronch is what located the hole that was between her trachea and esophagus um, and told us that she needed a surgery to repair that. Um, It's a fairly routine procedure for most people. And it's something she's had done several times now, Um, though even... To this day, it's a struggle to do a proper bronchoscope for her um, because of her difficult airway. It's uh, the anatomy of it is in, it's complicated to explain. In some ways, it's normal, but it's um, it's not shaped normally. If if that makes sense, to get wow. down her throat okay. is is always a struggle for her surgeon. You mentioned about holes in Evelyn's body and the devices attached and learning how to read the monitors and this line. So it is impactful and it also shows you as a 
writer. You say alarms and equipment engines are the lullabies to which she sleeps. That sentence is so impactful. You also write, and I'm paraphrasing here, you hope so you can hold on to something because you believe she will be here tomorrow, but you dare not dream beyond because of fear of what she may never come. I read that and I thought, I thought to myself, Lisa is in survival mode. And looking back, do you believe you were in survival mode? I was at that time? absolutely in survival mode for several years. It was only about survival. Her survival, mine, uh, keeping my whole family intact. Hope became something that I couldn't help but do. You have to believe that for something more, something more, something better. Um, But it also became something I dreaded feeling because it meant a sure letdown. Uh, There was always a crash at the end of it, leaving for something that may never come to be. Gosh, okay. At the beginning of chapter four, I I teared up because I was reading about the first meet. Uh, You wished for Noah to lay beside his baby sister on the hospital bed. And I had that with our two girls. And our two girls, there were three years, they were three years apart. I I understand, you know, what you are, are, are looking for, you know, but there's, there's this little nugget when, like, if you could describe Noah's first meet, and it's what he says, he's three, and it's what he says about baby Evelyn that I thought, I just, ah, I held on to, and I thought that was so cute. What did he He say? He called her cute and fuzzy, and it was terms he would use to describe her for a long time. (laughs) Um, She had these soft baby hairs all around her body, and he could see them with how close he was staring at her in, in the incubator, and he propped himself up on this chair and just stared um, and he said, cute and fuzzy. Oh, that just, yeah. oh. <laughs> so the paragraph I love again, um, because like I said, I want, I want to show you as the author and, um, on my previous podcasts, when I've talked with authors, we talk about scenes and I really like having visuals. These next couple of sentences, I, I, I hope you don't Thanks mind if too. I read them. <laughs> you write. A crowd of caps and gowns, flowing and studious, not the kind who grant degrees or solemn stages, but those who perform miracles in operating rooms. The crowd of them push her down the corridor. I saw that visual and I immediately, I thought of superheroes. Can you explain what this scene, what, and it's, it's, this is not fiction. This is nonfiction. So the crowd of caps and gowns coming down the hall, they have little Evelyn. W- what do you yeah, see? This is the moment she's coming back for, to the NICU from that first surgery uh, from the operating room. Um, and she's in one piece. She's breathing and alive. Um, and these doctors, I mean, I'm like you said, like superheroes, my, my son has always had an affinity for superheroes and I actually think some of it stemmed back from when she he was around this age three um and just seeing people rescue other people yeah it was it's a miracle it's beautiful and so listeners 
understand NICU. What what does that mean on my <laughs> So NICU is just a short, quick way to say the neonatal intensive care unit. Baby's ICU. Okay. <laughs> and my oldest daughter, who is a nursing student, is going to be groaning, <laughs> saying, Mom, why didn't you talk to me? <laughs> right. Eventually, you're able to bring Evelyn home. Uh, you mentioned that people say to you, and it's with all good intentions, that you must be excited to bring her home. Um, is that correct? Yeah, you can imagine how excited people were for friends, family, the NICU staff. Uh, they'd been watching us driving back and forth every day for four months and longing for the day the four of us could just get on with life together. Um, and I think they expected that we felt this same excitement because it's perhaps what they expected that they would feel in that situation. Um, but as relieved as I was to finally be at the end of the NICU stay, uh, there was a lot of fear and resentment about coming home. I wasn't coming home with a healed and whole child, which most leaving the hospital do, it seemed to me anyways. I was coming home with nursing staff and medical equipment uh, and a baby who still had incredible obstacles to overcome. So to me, the NICU wasn't an end point or a finishing line. Um, it wasn't a victory. It was just moving from one step to the next. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and Lisa, I'm going to be honest. Mm. I would be petrified. I would be petrified that one small thing I did, like not cleaning a tube correctly um, and her getting an infection and an infection that my failure to do something properly may end my child's life. And uh, how do you get past that mindset? And, and tell me it's, um, tell me it's more than just a, you have to, I know you have to, but I would be petrified. How, how did you do it? It's a fiercely unfair thing to say, but it is true that you do just have to. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the option is that she doesn't come home. <laughs> um, so you do what you have to, to get her there. Um, and I don't think we've mentioned yet, but so my daughter, while in the NICU, ended up having surgery for a tracheostomy, which is a breathing tube in your neck. Um, she was intubated for a couple months and they were unable to extubate her successfully. So she came home with a tracheostomy tube and a feeding tube in her tummy. Um, and I think what gave us confidence was the nurses and the RTs in the NICU who trained us and they encouraged us in the best way. Um, so I know we were fully prepared to go home with such a complex kiddo and knowing that they trusted us with that. And that gave us confidence that we knew what we needed to know to care for her well. And then over the months and the years that follow, um, both myself and my husband have become more of an expert with her and her care than any ER doctor I've come across. <laughs> so comes it just becomes yeah. like second nature, um, which is incredibly overwhelming at the time because I remember nurses telling me one day you'll be the expert. And I was thinking, no way, <laughs> um, but it's true. And we'll get into a little bit more of that. But yeah, from day I see it. Yeah. From day one, you've been that you've been you and your husband have been the ones who have been there. Yeah. So you bring to light your own 
internal struggles. Um, you're 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 raw in this book, and um, it, it's it's the honesty. I admire and I I, I admire your honesty. And um, you talk about you know your home and you want to have visitors, and you're wondering why hasn't anyone visited me. And then when visitors do come over, you feel vulnerable, you feel exposed, and you don't want them there. Can you elaborate a bit yeah. more on, on that? I wrestled with a lot of dark and difficult thoughts in those early months home. And in writing this book, I wanted to share the honesty of that wrestling. Um, people have good intentions, wanting to give you space, wanting to visit, trying to encourage you with words that sometimes don't end up being very encouraging. Um, they help in the way they think they would want to be helped. Um, but when someone is walking through trauma or living through postpartum depression or anxiety, or just simply in the middle of a difficult season, those on the outside looking in can't be so sensitive to how their help is asked for or received. It's, And I wanted to portray that wrestling that goes on with the person who's experiencing the difficult time yeah okay okay you were also um you're breastfeeding and you're you're freezing your breast milk you've been you were doing that since yeah I was pumping actually so she couldn't breastfeed um so I was pumping milk from day one before before she could even take any of it I was starting my supply (laughs) Why I mentioned this is because there this lighter note. I, we we're, we're going on a bit of a lighter note here. And can you please? This is a, a tip which I swear every expecting <laughs> mom needs to know. And uh, so, can you please enrich our listeners about the importance yes. of cabbage Goodness, leaves? Cabbage leaves. Who would have thought? Um, so yes, yeah, so if you're listening and you're currently breastfeeding, or if you've got a baby on the way. Make note of this. Um, But cabbage leaves was my cure to the most intense breast engorgement I have ever experienced. I tried everything, um, everything. And I, and I had experience with this with my son. um, But I don't know if it was because I was pumping or, or why, but it was very severe with Evelyn. Um, in the week, the days and week following her birth. And so cabbage leaves, you just pull it cold out of the fridge and put them right on there. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> it helps. There's a, there's a funny, it, you know, you, you write in there a, a funny incident where you're mentioning how you have the cabbage leaves. And I think at one point your husband comes home and he, yeah. he sees the top, the tips of the cabbage leaves kind of poking out the top of my tank top. Out. <laughs> yeah. Your strength. And uh, I, I admire your strength. And you're going to, going to hear that a few times as we go through this podcast. Uh, Evelyn is home and she goes into SVT which I learn means her heart rate is beating exceedingly mm-hmm. fast. Okay. And, and you write that her heart rate is 280 beats per minute. Ambulance is called. She is rushed to emergency. You're in emergency and you download like a machine Evelyn's condition. You are the expert. This has happened before. 
you know she requires 0.3 milligrams um, per kilogram of adenosine. And adenosine. And the you you tell this, you say this to the physician, and the physician at the hospital says to you, okay, mom. And he tells you you must be mistaken by the dose that they'll start with 0.1 milligrams. And if that doesn't work, we'll try mom's suggestions. Mom's suggestion. <laughs> A, I was getting angry and when I was reading that. Um, yeah, what well, what happens next? They go ahead and push the 0.1 milligram per kilo, which is the standard dosing to start with for pediatric patients. Um, and it does nothing. He even has the nerve to stare at the screen for a moment and tell me to wait for it. Uh, the numbers don't change. And if they did, it should be instantly. So he just made himself look more unaware <laughs> by doing that. Um, so then yeah, they yeah. go ahead and give the dose that I told them to. And it works, as I said it would. <laughs> yeah. You would know. This happens a second time where her heart rate goes like way up to like the 280 beats. And I love how you say, this time I come armed with even more mom grit. I brace myself for whatever personality I am greeted by. And I have to say, God bless that paramedic when he gives the instructions upon arrival at the, the pediatric emergency room. And he says, mom is the expert here damn right. You know, I read that and I thought, you better believe it, right? So uh, how was the response the, from the, the health professionals during the second incident? Yeah, time this, well, this paramedics happens? in general, I think, are frequently taken aback by how much I know. Um, and I've actually given some teaching lessons to paramedics and firefighters over the years <laughs> that don't know what I'm talking about. Um but we arrive at the, the hospital and the doctor, um, the lead pediatrician in the ER, uh, she's hearing me. I can tell she's not simply nodding her head absently or speaking through me, but she simply is listening and she follows my lead. Um, maybe it's because I'm being clear and more assertive this time, um, or she is just simply better at trusting me as the expert. Um, and regardless, the entire experience is different based on these first few minutes of interaction. And I, over the years, have found it to be Good. true in general that those first few minutes tell me a lot about how our interaction in the ER will go. Um, yeah. Good, good, good. Now, you said uh, Evelyn is... Yeah, she's four and a half. That's excellent. Like Just because she's home, she's not out of the woods. And even in like October of this year, she yeah. was taken to emergency. Yeah, right? she's she's home, not out of the woods, because she, many of her conditions she's going to live with for the rest of her life. It's chronic. Um, her heart condition isn't going anywhere. And she has another surgery in the future still. Um, but even following that surgery, that doesn't fix the heart. It only helps her live with what she's got <laughs> essentially. Um, okay. So yeah, ambulance rides, 911 calls is something we are very well versed in. Um, last year, there were a dozen ambulance rides just in one year. 
Um, 2020 has actually been the calmest and healthiest year yet, if you can believe it. Um, so the emergency call in October was very surprising, um, but it was an emergency with her tracheostomy um, that hadn't occurred before. Um, I won't share all the details, <laughs> but I'll just say there was blood um, where there shouldn't be blood and too much of it. Um, and it was, it's just one of those risks of having a foreign object in your airway. So she's okay. And came home that same day. Um, but just, yeah, it's just one of those things that we're always prepared for. Interesting that 2020 yeah. has been the calmest. Yeah. There's, there's gotta, that's, uh, that's awesome. You know, the whole world is, <laughs> I don't want to say we're losing our mind. <laughs> the whole world is dealing with a pandemic. And we think we are, <laughs> I got to be careful of what I say here. Thank God that 2020 has been a calmer year for yeah. our little Evelyn yeah. and your family. Yeah, what, what the world Good. is experiencing um, is valid, um, though there has been many moments in the last year where I have felt, buckle up, guys. Um, people, people walk through hard things like this all the time you will be okay. Um, staying home and missing family gatherings or holidays is not the worst of it. You are okay. Thank you for saying that. Yes. People have lost jobs and there are illnesses beyond COVID yeah. that are being dealt with. Um, but I just think if, if you are safe, if your family is safe and you have a home that you can stay in, then, then you are of the people that can simply buckle up <laughs> um, and find a way to support the people who yes. who need it. Um, but yeah, so well said. You, you say you, yeah, I, yeah, so well said. Now the another thing with uh, little Evelyn, and is it okay if I say little, little Evelyn? Is she, she's I've four and a half. Of her. She's still she, wearing five, two to three clothes, so <laughs> she's pretty, pretty little. <laughs> she's so cute and Noah yeah. Noah her older brother little. he is so cute little. you know he's grown um, non-stop that boy <laughs> so Evelyn is unable to pass air over her vocal cords yeah her tracheostomy sits it's right b below the vocal cords so because she breathes through the tube versus air coming up through her mouth she doesn't get that same vibration with her her speech um so from the beginning about from when she was a year old or so, I started teaching her um, ASL, American Sign Language. Um, so we have been learning sign together. Um, though, to be honest, she learns faster than I can keep up with because I need to keep challenging myself so I can keep challenging her because she, she knows everything I teach her quite quickly. Um, but also in this last year, she's starting to speak. Um, it comes out as a very, very soft whisper. Um, and you need to be face to face and really paying attention to what she's trying to say to, to hear and understand. Um, but, but it's a new way that we've also been communicating. So often it will be a whisper with the sign at the same time, um, which has been great. Oh, so Emma, yeah, she is. Yeah, she school? was in preschool back in March when the school shut down, and we sent her back to preschool again in September. So, yeah, I mean, we're just trusting the protocols that are in place, and her doctors were very pro that plan. Um, 
and we're being diligent about germs. Though, to be honest, it's just not much different with how we approached school last year. Um, It's always been something we've been fearful of, germs. She's been hospitalized many occasions for viruses over the years. Um, So we just have very high expectations with the school. Um, And their sick policy has always been very stringent as far as like not coming to school with any type of symptoms and things like that. Um, So which is why going back even with COVID felt okay, because it's it's what we were already doing. It's what we are used to anyways. Excellent. So, okay, when I was on your Instagram, I love this story. So can you tell our listeners Evelyn's Go to yeah. Um, oh goodness. So yeah, I had shared that on our, my Instagram some time ago, and we, my husband and I, on the weekends, we take turns doing night shifts with her uh, when when we don't have nursing, and so I have a mattress in her bed, and so we we're playing on this mattress. And she turned off the lights, and she's telling mummy to go to sleep. And I mean, any parent out there knows that. Okay, that's a great game to play. <laughs> Let's go to sleep. <laughs> um, but no short than like three, five seconds later, she turns the lights back on. Wake up, wake up, time to wake up. <laughs> it's much too short. So we play the game over and over again. And I, I, I just kept wishing she would let me actually go to sleep. <laughs> but it was sleeping and waking up too quickly. <laughs> we don't just yeah. flick the light back on. <laughs> oh. You were on the panel at the Whistler's Writers Festival. Yeah. And I want to know what was that like? So this this was such a cool experience. <laughs> I mean, I'm a new author. I self-published this book myself. So to sit with other very established and respected writers, um, well, I mean, it just it felt great, to be honest. <laughs> um, and each of our books and stories are were very different, um, though there are some very clear themes between them as well of just resiliency and perseverance um, through very difficult personal struggles um, in each of each of um, the author's stories um, and mine. Um, so yeah, it was a great experience. I, I I did answer some questions, but to be honest, I, I really was just enjoying being um just being there and and hearing um how the other authors spoke and presented themselves. And I hoped to just learn something from it all. So <laughs> I, I think you 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 could have spoke because um you are very well spoken. You, you should you are you're very in how you present your ideas. And uh, yeah, Thank you. what other literary events have you been involved with this year? Day that the World Health Organization announced a global pandemic. <laughs> um, so no joke, like the book launch oh. party, which we had planned and everything took place the night before, before there was any restrictions on number of people and spaces and things like that. Um, it was such a great time. Um, and then, yeah, the day it published and went live it um the whole world kind of shifted um so I wish I could list a ton of different events but I actually haven't been a part of a a ton of events I had hoped to do you know book signings at bookstores and and those sort of things had been lined up to do like 
every author who's published this year has experienced the disappointment of not having. Um, but instead, I hosted a couple live events myself on my Instagram channel. Um, and it was just a great way to connect with my readers, um, and many of whom have, are people who have been following me and Evelyn's story for a long time, um, and people who, yeah, have been following my writing journey and everything. So, um, yeah. I also, I learned, um, see, I look at book promotion in terms of waves. So you, you have the, the, you know, the launch. And yeah, so yeah. you have kind of, you ride on like a first wave of promotion. And then I, I wait, um, you know, after a few months, I figure, okay, second wave's coming in, you know? So, and this is my little second wave of promotion. And uh, we, I had Dave Butler mm-hmm. on the podcast uh, about two weeks ago. And he had mentioned about free range writers and they, yeah, they have a blog. And the one thing I thought was really cool is one of the authors there, were, like they had three articles about being published by a traditional uh, hybrid right. and yeah. an indie author. And this indie author said the thing with being published as an indie author is there is no time limit on when you can promote your book. One day COVID will be in our history books. I just want to shake some hands and give some hugs yeah. at, um, you know, at some bookstores and, and yeah, I, that's, that's what I was hoping for. And I, I look forward to doing that still. And yeah, like you said, there is no timeline. It's I, a while ago near the start of this, I just really accepted that this book is going to take its own path. And I think it's kind of a living thing that you've birth into the world and it's going to go its its own direction and reach who it needs to reach in its own time so that's what's happening <laughs> have there been any um any auth- any authors in particular um non-fiction authors maybe that um have influenced yes. your, your so writing or one of my favorite writing? books actually of all time is rue and it's written by canadian author kim uh, I'm going to pronounce her last name wrong and I feel terrible, but Kim Thuy. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful poetic book. It's nonfiction. Um, and it's about her experience immigrating to Canada from Vietnam. Um, but it's written in such a unique way. Um, like it doesn't follow linear storytelling um some of the chapters are only a page long it's it's just fascinating to read and the words yeah like I said it's just poetic um so that's that's one of my favorite books to be honest and then this other book that I read well I read I read it before I started writing my own um so it was a year or so into since Evelyn was born and by Paul Kellen, Kellenithi, um, of when but breath becomes air. I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's I think still a number one seller on Amazon, um, after all these years and Paul writes about dying. Um, and again, a very poetic book as well. He's a doctor, he's a neurosurgeon. Um, and he writes about his experience 
dying as a doctor, as a patient, um, and what that's like. And it's just so beautifully written, um, painfully beautifully written. Um, and I believe he passed before he completely finished it. Uh, and his wife finished the book. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, yeah. So yeah, those two stories. Um, I mean, as you can tell, maybe I'm really drawn to the the difficult stories <laughs> of, this, of this world, but I think, I think those are so the right. most honest. Um, and like I said earlier, those are what connects us to each other. That's the, those are themes and stories that we all will live out in some capacity. Well, the stories where a, a human, a person is being almost tested, you know, your, your, your being, your, your values, mm-hmm. your, just your, you just your being, you are being tested and, and, and overcoming conflicts. You know, those, yeah. those are, those are the yeah. stories that are, are breathtaking. So in the beginning of the book, you write that y- you say you want to create and add beauty to the world. Do you um, feel you've accomplished I would this? say that it's not ever something that's finished, but is it being accomplished? I think so. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I attempted to do that in this book um, by writing it and by how I wrote it. Um, I know it's a difficult topic um, for people to read and, and absorb and um, it's, not it's it's not an easy read just to pick up and and go through um I mean I had a hard time writing it so I can only imagine um but my intention was to display the words in the story in a beautiful way even even though it is a difficult topic and and um and I think if we can find beauty within hard moments of our life um I mean that's kind of what pulls us through it and it is so well written you you've it, it like it, I remember reading and learning that if the author does his or her job it is an easy read for the reader and you have done that and it's engaging and you know it, even if it's a hard topic it is engaging and it is very well written and you're just you're you know going through the pages and you're just you know you're you're grabbing tissues at one moment and then you're laughing at another because you never thought, okay, cabbage leaves. I wish I knew that, you know, 30 Thank you so ago. That's, <laughs> right? really kind. That's really kind of so, you to say. I feel like if we're talking about writing style and, and how, how well it reads, I, I feel like I need to also shout out to my editor. Lori Bamber was my editor because uh, I, I think I gave her a pretty – a rough start, maybe she she might not say that, but <laughs> to be honest, I did not know when I handed her that manuscript if I was done, if I was saying what I had wanted to say. Like I, I didn't know the if the book was even a thing. <laughs> um, and she took it and gave me such confidence um, that it was in fact something. And and through our editing process together. Um, I actually came to understand the book more than I had while I was writing it. Um, so yeah, it was a great experience to, to work with her. Excellent. So what's 
Yeah. Day by day. Um, What's next for Lisa? Well, I have a couple more book ideas for the future. <laughs> Though I am, I am diligently making Yay. myself wait until this one has had a year <laughs> before I start switching focus. Um, uh, but I, yeah. but I will do so next year um, as it, as I reach the year mark. And, but yeah, the day by day. I mean, really, why that's so has become so important to me and our our family is. I mean just like we spoke of earlier, October, we had a 911 call and, you know, a day like that happens and you drop everything. Your whole day needs to be adaptable. Um, but then it's not just that day, but then the whole week kind of shifts around because of that, that event. Um, and so we're just always prepared for that really. Um, and even in writing this book, I mean, I had so many schedules that I thought it should follow and fall within. Um, but life just has other turns. And I mean, it wasn't published as quickly as I thought it should be. But it, in the end as well, though, I think it came out exactly when it was meant to. Um, day by day, you, you can't can't take, you can't hold on to anything too tightly. <laughs> um, so, so we make plans, and we still dream, and we still plan, have ideas for for the future. But letting the future unfold as it does is is necessary so where can our listeners find you on um instagram and facebook and i'm sorry i'm i'm having i've learned this new word the socials find me on i'm the having socials. a hard time saying um, it so where can they find you that's great um so yeah i'm, I'm mostly active on instagram um and my handle is at lasa faith so that's l-a-e-s-a faith um and it's the same handle on twitter and you can find the same on facebook as well um yeah so i'm around on the socials (laughs) um and i mean interesting enough that instagram really is where where i started writing (laughs) um this is that's where i started placing my thoughts um, in vulnerable ways, and it's it is what spiraled into writing a book. See, and you write that your story is not special. It is the same as dozens of parents walking these walls on that day over years. That's that's from your book. I I disagree a little bit with that statement um, that your story is not special. I think we need more stories like your story so we can cope and see the good in what I look at now as a a brittle world. Can we end off this podcast with you reading? It's one of my favorite paragraphs, and I think it is such a great way to end this podcast. Can we end off with you reading? We hope now and we hope always. For the future that is forever unknown, for the present we cherish and hold close, for the past that is challenged, shaped, and strengthened us. And we continue on to enjoy what we have in this moment and to press through whatever next comes our way. Thank you, Joanna. Thanks for having That's me. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure.